Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider, presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by my old pals, David Moore and Evan Grant. Fellas, y'all staying dry? Yes, because I'm not leaving the house. Yes, because I'm staying indoors at the moment, watching it rain. Well, that's good. It's, a, it, it's nothing like being able to look outside and seeing it rain, isn't there? I tell you. Yeah, looking outside to see it rain is the key on that. Yes, exactly, as long as you're not standing in it. Um, yeah, so it's been uh, a pretty crazy week. Lots of stuff going on around town. We'll talk about all that a little bit later. But uh, first of all, we want to jump right in there and talk about the, the Cowboys and what's going on. We've, we see that there are moves being made across the NFL. Guys are getting hired. Brian Callahan hired at Tennessee. Uh, Bill Callahan's son, a former uh, coach, a head coach in the, in the league, and also a great offensive line coach had been a was a great offensive line coach for the cowboys uh so uh stuff starting to 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 uh bolt to get bolted down in some of these organizations the eagles have fired two coaches they will now have going into next year their third year in a row of different uh defensive and offensive coordinators david so in Philadelphia, anyway, a season like they had resulted in people getting the axe. Uh, with the Cowboys, uh, also a first-round exit. It's like as long as Dan Quinn doesn't take a job as a head coach with the Seahawks, which he has another uh, interview set up with them, um, and I guess another interview in in Washington. With Washington, that- yeah. 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 Dad, yeah. Let's start from there. It's going to there's not going to be the coordinator upheaval here that you had in Philadelphia. Uh, unless Dan Quinn gets another job. Um, and that that does touch on the difference in the, the different philosophical approaches of these two franchises, right? Uh, let's carry it all the way back to Philadelphia with Carson Wentz. Uh, wasn't working out here. Let's move on, even though we don't have, you know, let's let's keep it going. Let's This isn't going to work, so let's go here. Uh, you've seen the Cowboys less resistant to make those sort of significant changes in large part arguing, well, we like the culture in place. That continuity is going to give us a better chance to advance than chaos or upheaval at some point. Uh, it, it's the, you could make a move, but do you take a step back before you take two steps forward? Jerry Jones has shown at this stage of his career he will be 82 uh, early this season in October. Uh, that he leans toward the continuity, liking what's in place, and believes they are better positioned to advance with minimal changes, tweaks, personnel improvements than any major uh, scheme change or. Uh, personnel change at the top as, uh, as far as the quarterback position, if you will. But now back to Dan Quinn real quick. Um, yeah, he was he was scheduled to have three. Uh, he's completed the first round of interviews. He was scheduled to have three second interviews this week with Seattle, Washington, and also Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati is now crossed off the list because they didn't hire uh, the offensive coordinator from Cincinnati, uh, uh, excuse me, Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee's now off the list because uh, they hired Cincinnati's offensive coordinator, Brian Callahan. Uh, But whether or not there are changes on the defensive side of the ball determines, will be determined by whether or not 
Dan Quinn leaves for a head coaching position. If he does not, you're running back the same scheme. Even if he does leave, uh, I believe uh, Witt uh, will be is, is the leading candidate to assume the role as uh, Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator. And he has worked independently under both Mike McCarthy and Dan Quinn, and they both hold him in high regard. And much of what you're seeing in the secondary uh, is Witt's scheme and, and execution of it. So it would be minimal change if Dan Quinn does leave from that perspective. That's interesting because when I was out there, oh, you know, before the, uh, the, the debacle uh, against the Packers, uh, and I was just talking to several people in the media, and I, and I said, I just, it just assumed that Joe Witt would be the, the defensive coordinator if uh, Dan Quinn were to leave. And everybody I talked to, to a man, said, oh, no, Jerry Jones has always had a former head coach as his defensive coordinator, and so is Mike McCarthy. And, uh, I, you know, I didn't go back to check that out. I just assumed everybody was right. But I just, it just was interesting to me that everybody thought that was just a given. And I can see that a little bit because Mike McCarthy runs the offense and it just, like, leaves the defense to whoever the coordinator is. So maybe you want a guy with that kind of stature who has, who has run a, an entire – you know, uh, team to, to be in charge of your defense. But I don't know that it's really necessary, is it? No, and it's, look, they will have an interview process. And, and if there is a uh, proven veteran defensive coordinator out there uh, who wants to come here for the right price and makes an argument on, well, look, this is where you are defensively. We just add this uh, and, and you're up and running and you're not taking a step back. I, I can certainly see that happening. They're not closing the door to that. But, you know, we talk about this being a, a draft and develop team when it comes to the personnel. I think Mike McCarthy also takes that same approach with the coaching staff. And, you know, it, it takes a while to get your coaching staff where you want it because, when you get the opportunity to be a head coach, a lot of the people you'd want to bring in from the start are still under contract and they can't make lateral moves, so you can't get them. So you kind of it takes a few years to kind of weed through and get to the point. But, but I, I think, I think Mike McCarthy also because he came up through the system this way, also wants to recognize and reward those position coaches uh, and. Um, offensive coordinator assistants and that those sort of positions who put in the work that he believes to be promising. And if there is an opportunity to give them to step up the career ladder, uh, he wants to be able to do that. So that's another reason I think Joe Witt Jr. would be uh, the, the logical choice if Dan Quinn leaves. Yeah. Right. So all I'm hearing is Matt Patricia will be the Cowboys' next defensive coordinator. <laughs> Yeah, that one may not work. I don't think. They, they Former head coach. Yeah, and a debacle as a head coach. Uh, <laughs> Won some Super you know. Bowls as a defensive coordinator. As a he defensive coordinator for a defensive head coach. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't see. Uh, I, I don't see them making those kind of moves, you know, and, that, and that's interesting too, David, because what you brought up about the fact that I forgot about that they moved off of Carson Wentz, you know, and, and that was after they had drafted Jalen Hurts. They did the same thing the Packers did, right? They they yep. had a quarterback in place and they went out and drafted uh, his replacement. Uh, Look what the Packers did with all that dead money on the cap this year. They beat the yeah. Cowboys and and 
Uh, now people are very intrigued by what their future could be. Well, and all the draft picks they got uh, in, in conversation were trading Aaron Rodgers. You know, now if you try to, if the Cowboys try to trade Dak Prescott, they're not going to get that kind of return, uh, obviously. Uh, at, at some point, David, I wanted to talk to you when we get a little better sense of of what they can do with Dak's contract uh, about. You know, yeah, that's an entire segment in and of itself to break that oh down gosh. and what they should do, what their options are. Yeah, let's do that in the in the coming weeks because there's there's and a we've lot there. we've buried the lead here. We really have. Well, we always well, do. Mean, so what's your point? That's a good point. But I mean, since we last recorded this, this, this is since we last recorded. Where are you from? Are you from Philly? The the Cowboys <laughs> did make a decision to keep the head coach, and you guys haven't weighed in on it except for the copious amounts of copy you've written in print. Well, that seemed like such a long time ago. I don't know. I just want to move on from that. Thanks for well, really, in today's world. That's true. Yeah, he is back. <laughs> we're not surprised by that, though. I mean, I, I, I didn't see there, that there was any way that Jerry was going to fire uh, Mike McCarthy. I just because of the relationship that he had fostered with Dak Prescott, who had his one of his best years, uh, I just felt like, and then Dak, what, all the things that Dak said about him. You know, Dave, we, we didn't really talk about this, because I can remember back in the day when guys would be going over the head of the head coach and going straight to uh, Jerry Jones and complaining about things, and then that's what Jerry was making moves. I don't think any of that was happening now. I don't get the sense that, he, that anybody was going to Jerry and complaining about Mike McCarthy. Um, no, it's just the not, brothers of all the key players doing it in social media. <laughs> yeah, there's no, no need to go. Yeah, and the, and you, the mothers, right? We had yeah. we had uh, a CD Lamb's mother complaining about Dak. I mean, what the heck? Uh, Listen, the, the the feuds on social media are just kind of getting out of control. Um, it, it mothers. Jay Gruden and Robert Griffin going at, at one another. RT3, um, yeah, years later, decades it, later. It's just ridiculous. But listen, I, I got the sense, David, from everything that you wrote and what you talked about last week, I got the sense that you you felt McCarthy should come back. Kevin, I, even though we all know that, that what, you, what you've written and said is that you, you aren't surprised by this, I got the impression reading between the lines that you thought a change should have been made. Did you think a change should have been made? I think if you make a change, then you're changing everything. You're breaking it all down, uh, or at least you're risking that possibility. Uh, because, I, look, you, you as we said earlier, at some point we're going to have to deal with uh, Dak's contract here and talk about all that and the cap hit and everything that's involved with it. If you if you get rid of uh, you know Mike McCarthy, you may have to make a decision on Dak Prescott as well. And are you really prepared to do that and to have to break everything down? I, I just Jerry's not going to do that at eighty two. So uh, I, I my problem with Mike McCarthy is that we had all these players talk about how much they loved him, and I and I'm wondering if shouldn't they just fear him a little bit? I mean, I know this is not the old days of of uh, football when. You know, when we had the asthma field and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I'm not saying I want anybody to go back to that. But I, but I also felt like that this is a team and an organization that every year, you know, is right up there at the in the top 10 in penalties. And it, and it doesn't seem to be any accountability here for, for a lot of that kind of stuff. I, I'd, I'd rather, instead of you be loved, I'd rather you be respected and feared. Uh, and and I don't know that, that Mike McCarthy is uh, kind of, getting that kind of response from his team. So 
you know, I, I'd like to know who it was you had in mind to, to replace him with. Uh, if, if there was somebody out there that was an, an obvious choice, like in, in this was the year, right? You had Bill Belichick, you had you had Jim Harbaugh, you had Mike Vrabel. I, I was on you know, record as saying I like Mike Vrabel. Uh, I think that he's that kind of coach. I think he went a long way with uh, without a quarterback uh, there in Tennessee, and I don't think that's any mark of uh, shame to be fired by somebody from the Bud Adams family tree. So uh, I, I, I do – uh, think that they probably could have done it. I don't have a big problem with with Mike coming back. He's going into the last year of his deal, uh, and I think that that's pretty clear how that's going to work. You know, if he if it doesn't work out, then I, I think that uh, Jerry will fire him uh, after this year. And a lot a, a lot of things will be cleared up after this season, but before before that even happens, they're going to have to make that decision about Dak. So, yeah. That's, well, he wouldn't that's, fire Mike. He would just move on. They would just yeah, exactly agree to part. So uh, yeah. again, a semantical quibble there, but yeah, that's that's how they would also sell it. And uh, no, you're you're right. The look, I, I've I maintained last week that Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott were tied together on this. And while you had to make the decision on Mike McCarthy first because of the time frame, it was really being driven by Dak Prescott. And is he the quarterback? of this future? If so, for how long that, you know, what, how do you go forward with him with this cap hit next year? Again, we'll explore all that later because the organization is still working through all that as well. Uh, and, and it's a very complex, uh, and difficult decision for them. But, but back to McCarthy. Yeah. He, he doesn't fit that. The, the old school, even though he's an old school coach, he doesn't fit the, fear of God, strike the fear of God in the players, right? And, and he doesn't interact with them that way. Uh, he's adapted. Now, he's stubborn and has been, and and he still is, but uh, he's really, he's to me, he is one of the old school coaches who has evolved in not only how he sees the game, but also how he interacts with uh, the players. And, and I think he's more of the... Um, you know, uncle that everyone loves versus the strong authoritative authoritarian figure that, oh, you don't want to cross him. Um, you can't, I don't think you, I don't believe you can have an authoritative, an, an authoritarian head coach anymore in the NFL. Um, and that's, that's why I've got at this point in time, you know, even if the Falcons were to hire Belichick, I've got some questions about whether, and, and I hate to say, the game, it's not the game that has passed anybody by, but perhaps it is the personnel in the game and, and, and how they have to be handled. I just, I, on Mike McCarthy, there are two things for me that stick out. I don't think either one of you guys think he's a great clock manager. I don't think you, you think he's had great instances of managing the clock, which is a huge coaching decision. And the other thing that you know galls me about this team is just how penalty prone they have been year in and year out under him. I, I think he's a he's a creative mind, and I think that I think the players do want to play for him. But those are you know those two mistakes to me are, are the kind of mistakes that just kill football teams in big games. Yeah, I, I I'm with you on that, and uh, I, I do think early on the problem for me with Mike was that a tone was established early on. His very first game, they 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 call the fake punt, you know, from what his own thirty or whatever it was, and they don't get it. And it was like, 
you know, so Fossil, his special teams coach, comes to him with this thing, and he says, sure, let's go ahead and do it. Uh, I think he gives a little too much autonomy to his special teams coaches and his defensive coordinator. To me, he's a little bit like the offensive version of Wade Phillips, that this is who I feel like they've gotten. I think he's a better head coach than Wade Phillips was, but they're very similar in the fact that, you know, very well liked, very well respected for their side of the ball and what they do. But uh, I just feel like that there are times when you're the head coach, you just say, no, we're not doing that. You know, it was it was like the, the issue when Kellen Moore was his offensive coordinator, and he did go to him and say, well, I think we need to run the ball more, and that's, and that's what happened. Uh, but it's like, you're the head coach, man. You just go in and say, Hey, we're doing this. I, I know that you're, this is your, you're the offensive coordinator, but we're, we're going to do this. And, and, and I think any head coach who goes into, uh, games and saying like, well, I don't know, man, he's the offensive coordinator. And I just let him kind of do what his thing. It's like, well, you're an idiot because it's got, you get the W and the L, you know, uh, and, the, and not, not the offensive coordinator, not the defensive coordinator. So yeah, I, passive I, aggressive isn't leadership. You know, that's another right. look. I, and I do think, you know, back to Evan's point, I think everybody has to be lead in a way which is genuine to their personality and who they are. Because I think, I think nothing goes bad quicker than a person in a leadership position who tries to be something they're not and they're exposed and they lose respect very quickly in a locker room very quickly in any sport. So you have to be true to who you are. You can't, uh, look, that doesn't mean you don't make difficult decisions, but you know, if you're not a, if you're not a authoritarian and a yeller and a screamer, you make a difficult decision. You call in the guy and rationally talk to him about why this is being done versus just saying it's going to be done and glaring at him rather than talking to him. You know, I mean, it's so, and I think we're all guilty of like working backwards sometimes on narratives. It hasn't worked, so they're too soft, right? Is this a reason why? Because, uh, but, but I also agree with what Kevin says too. Well, you know, times have changed, and I think you have to interact with players differently. But there are times to get in someone's face. I mean, part of having a relationship with a player or another coach is when there's a disagreement, you can express how strongly you disagree with them. And, you know, what, what's the use in having a good relationship and interpersonal skills if at those times you don't, you don't aggressively yet respectfully get across, no, we're doing it my way, what is your issue with this? And and guys, this is, I mean, to, 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 to get to the point that David just made, I think is a great point because it's one of, you know, in football, we talk about offense coordinators and defense coordinators. Obviously those are guys who are being groomed to head coach, but I, I, I give in, in baseball, I liken it to the guru, the, the hitting coach who's such a great hitting coach and it's got to be the hitting coach's program or the pitching coach has got to be the pitching coach's program. Great managers and great coaches are great lead are great managers of people. They're not, it's not necessarily the scheme that's going to win. It is how you manage people. Um, and I think Bruce Bochy is a great example of he's got great instincts on how he wants to manage a game, but he's also he's a guy who's gonna turn 69 years old in two months. He's a guy who has uh 
evolved in terms of how he handles players, but when he needs to, he can be forceful, you know, and it's, it, it's not, it's, it, it's not, there's nothing inauthentic about it. There's nothing super tough guy about it, but it is an art. And it's why there are so few of those guys. I mean, to me, and, and, you know, maybe it is Patrick Mahomes, but Andy Reid is the, is, is for me, you know, the epitome of what that is in the NFL. This is a guy who finds a way to both drive his team and also appears to have a little bit of fun with his, his club. And uh, there's a fine line there. Uh, and, and I think that, yeah, that's, it doesn't mean that Mike McCarthy's a bad coach because he's maybe not a hundred percent efficient in that regard. But I do think that that is the one thing he's lacking that balance to be able to be an all time great type of head coach. And, and how, what was the narrative of Andy Reed before he wound up with Patrick Mahomes, that he's a good coach. He's a creative coach, but maybe he, he's just, he doesn't drive him hard enough. He just doesn't have that edge. Patrick Mahomes helped give him an edge because they won. Talent yeah, I think, that, I think Andy Reid was 0-5 uh, in the playoffs before he uh, had Patrick Mahomes, some some terrible record like that. Yeah, I wrote about that last week about if you look back at all the, the head coaches who won more than one Super Bowl, uh, of course Mike McCarthy has won one in Green Bay, um, the, the number of guys who won with multiple coaches, uh, multiple quarterbacks, was one, Joe Gibbs had basically had uh, four different quarterbacks. He had two in one year, the year that Doug Williams won the Super Bowl and Jay Schrader was the quarterback all year long. Um, but, you know, looking back at that, it gave me a renewed uh, respect for Joe Gibbs. I mean, he, yep. he, he won with, with Joe Theismann. He won with those two. Then he won, he won with Mark Rippon. Three different, completely different kinds of quarterbacks. He won three Super Bowls with those guys. Everybody else is winning with the same quarterback, which just goes back to the argument. Belichick, Brady. Belichick and Brady. Yeah, who is it? Well, that's that's true with everybody. Everybody who's ever won, basically, won multiple Super Bowls and been considered just a legend. You know, Tom Landry, the two Super Bowls that were both with uh, was Roger Staubach, right? And I, yep. and I don't think anybody, for all the genius of Tom Landry, no one would call it genius the way he handled those quarterbacks back then. Remember when he was alternating plays with Craig Morton and Roger Staubach? If, if somebody were to do that today, they'd be barbecued for that for that kind of thing. So yeah, it's uh, it, it is all about the quarterback and how he works with the head coach. And I think that's part of what Jerry's thinking is: it's like this this head coach gets along with this quarterback. So let's let this thing run its course this year and see what happens. Uh, and and I you know I don't know that I blame him for that. I, I do think it would take a lot of guts to break it down. I, I think the problem for me with the Cowboys was. Uh, like the the Packers drafting Jordan Love when they still had Aaron Rodgers, the Eagles drafting Jalen Hurts while they still had Carson Wentz. Big investments in those guys, and they they did that. That was bold to do it. It was questioned in in both cities. Uh, and how did it work out for those two? So uh, if if Jerry had a plan in place that had allowed him to do that kind of thing, and where he had an alternative, then he could make this kind of call. But he never has that. You know that's that's been the the issue with Jerry. The, his entire uh, uh, period of ownership is that he just didn't want to draft quarterbacks. They're expensive. Even to, to draft them, they're expensive, and he doesn't want to have to pay them to sit all the time. Uh, and, and he's made that mistake, and he, he keeps saying that he's going to, oh, I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to start drafting them and developing them. But he's not. And, and I would be surprised if he did it this year. 
So well, he went out and traded for Trey Lance. I mean, he was a he was a first round pick. So I would I would assume that's going to be your developmental guy this offseason. I would guess so too. But you know, I, I you always got to feel bad about the fact that the the Forty ers are pretty smart. You know, yeah. they built a pretty good roster, and if the Forty ers gave up on this guy, then what are you seeing in him that they did? And that's not to say that they can't make a mistake, but sure. they, their track record's pretty dang good. They're seeing first rounder by his name. That's what they're seeing. Well, that's, that's right. And, and that, the, the Cowboys do have that. Uh, and a lot of teams do. A lot of organizations do. But anytime a former first rounder gets released, Cowboys pounce. You know, In the Cowboys' uh, mind, they gave up a fourth round pick for a first round talent. Yes. So so right. are we better? are we better served? to try to develop this guy than to take a guy in the third or fourth round in 2024. And I think their argument for this year, since he's in-house, since they gave up a fourth-round pick is, well, yes, we do have a guy we like. Let's see if we can develop him. Yeah, so, and of course, it was, see we how have no idea out. what that's really like, David. I don't know how, how much you've ever got to see him in but practice. Hey, I know you wanted to talk about the draft, but, you know, we – we had the whole public flogging of this team. We still have. We're only ten days removed. You got to publicly flog them for at least another couple Absolutely. of weeks. Absolutely, fans have to work through their five stages of grief. We're only about one stage in, so I mean, we we got we got you know. I'm to, I'm to actual flog flogging. Later. I think that we should have Jerry in stocks out there. <laughs> well, people get to come by and take their throw shot at vegetables Jerry. at him like they used exactly. to, just for the cabbages. I mean, exactly. and that, those were the days. And listen, we're considering stages of grief. I mean, it's year 28 of the same kind of stage, right, of, of, yeah. of Jerry needing accountability. But I agree with both of you guys when it comes to McCarthy, right? You know, you could make an emotional decision here and, and because of an embarrassing loss and pull the plug. Or you could say you've invested this amount of time. I'm I'm not going to do the easy thing and what a bunch of fans want me to do and try and do what I think is in the best interest of this team being successful, and that is probably staying with the combination they've got right now. But where does accountability fall for this team? It's never fallen anywhere because it, it, it always stops before it gets to Jerry's door. Yeah. Well, we got a with the on the good news side here. Uh, Darren Woodson, uh, the last great safety uh, the Cowboys had. How long has Darren been gone now, uh, David? Uh, been a minute. You're going to force me to look that up. Yeah, talk amongst yourselves. I'll look, but, but yeah, he, I mean, he was in early early 2000s is when. Yes, and the Darren Woodson has uh, made the finals list for the Hall of Fame. Uh, one of the ten finalists that that will be announced uh, during the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, that'll be we'll the Thursday of Super Bowl, Tuesday or Thursday before uh, the Super Bowl. Okay. So early okay. February, we'll, so we'll, first week. we'll find out if Woody makes it or not. Uh, you know, he lives here in the neighborhood, just one block over. Uh, I, I may run by and knock on his door and say, hey, uh, congratulations. Um, he certainly deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He was a tremendous player for the Cowboys. Uh, and ahead of the curve. A lot of what you see safeties doing now uh, – Darren Woodson was at the at, at the front edge of that wave of how safeties play in the NFL these days. Really, a kind of a, a linebacker safety hybrid in a lot of ways. Yes, I tell you what, I'd a lot rather have uh, uh, Darren Woodson playing that position for Dan Quinn right now than Marquise Bell. Nothing against Marquise Bell; he, he he's really good at tackling when he gets on somebody, but he's two hundred and five pounds. I he was an he emergency. Plays. Yeah, yeah, he was an emergency plug-in after uh, because of uh, injuries. But yeah. Uh, yeah, Darren Woodson's last year, two thousand and three. Uh, so we're twenty-one years removed. So he has a few more years here uh, while he where where he can still get through this process. 
but I believe at year 25, then you go into the senior pool. And uh, that's that's a lot more restrictive and takes longer. So Darren Woodson is kind of at the edge of, uh, of consideration here. And if he doesn't get in in this process, he's still viable. And we've seen other Cowboys recently get in through the senior pool in recent years. That's but where Kevin that swims is, his laps at the YMCA. In the senior pool. <laughs> they don't even let me in that pool. Are you kidding? It's a very no. shallow pool. The very controversial thing about that time. I didn't get out of the pool for a certain bodily function. But anyway, oh, uh, oh, that's going to yeah, yeah. do it for. Uh, yeah, that's uh, going to do it maybe for the podcast. Well, it could. It would, that'd be OK, too. Um, <laughs> yeah. talk, speaking of the Hall of Fame uh, uh, today, as we're taping this uh, on Tuesday morning, a dreary Tuesday morning. Uh, later on today, uh, Adrian Beltre will find out whether he has made the Hall of Fame. Let's just go ahead and just uh, be a spoiler alert here. He's going to make it. The question is going to be just how much is he going to make it? You know, would it, would it be 100%? Uh, and he's not going to be 100%, but he's going to be really close to that. And we want to find out how much that is. So break that down for us a little bit. Listen, what a magnificent segue that was, Kevin. I, I mean... Just the, the way you just slid right into that Beltre Hall of Fame thing from the Woodson Hall of Fame thing was magnificent. I really, yeah. I have to give you senior it only props took, for what, that. Eight years into this podcast life to actually have a seamless transition. A smooth, a smooth segue. Well, and I had the pee pool in there too. So that was, it was, yeah. it was a lot of really, really good stuff. Well, when you when you can work in a urine joke with it, it's it's always good. Um, yeah. So listen, uh, here, here's the deal that uh, you know the the practice now is most not most, but about half of the voters for the Hall of Fame release their ballots before the actual announcement. So there are people out there who track these and are pretty diligent with it, and and we've got enough data over the years to to take these kind of numbers and and say what what we think will happen with the rest of the votes. And so as we sit here, there have been about 207 um, of what should be a, close to 400 voters uh, have released their ballots. So a little bit over 50%. Um, and Adrian has been named on all but two of them uh, as we sit here on Tuesday morning. That's 99% even. Um and so right now he stands with the fourth highest. If this if this trend continues, he'll finish with the fourth highest trend of any player ever behind Mariano Rivera, Derek Jeter, and Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, the trend is that ba- that voters who don't make their ballots public pre-announcement usually are tougher tougher grades, and so he may fall off a little bit. But I don't think it would fall off more than a percentage point or so. And if he does finish above 98%, he's going to be in the top 10 vote getters all time. Um, Henry Aaron right now is ninth at 97.8%. So uh, the voters have become a little bit more inclusive over the years, I think we could say. But by any way that you stretch this, Adrian is as close to a unanimous Hall of Famer as, as just about you'll ever see. Um He's going to end up with with some historic numbers on other fronts, too. He's going to be the highest uh, percentage. He's going to be named on the highest percentage of ballots of any Dominican native ever, which I think is huge for 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 baseball 
what baseball means to that country and, and to put him in, in, in perspective in the Dominican. He may finish, uh, if he finishes with 98.2% or higher, he's going to finish with the best percentage of a third baseman ever. Um, it just speaks to who Adrian Beltre was as a player, how he was respected around the game. You know, for the series of stories that I've, I've, I've written about Beltre in the last 10 days, we talked to Mike Schmidt and George Brett, and we talked about this on the show and, and how they raved about him as a third baseman. Um, and going back to when I talked to Brooks Robinson some six years ago, same thing. We talked to his former teammates and manager, um, who just lauded his leadership and his toughness. And then for today's paper and, and what's online right now, I talked to two pioneers of baseball from the Dominican, Felipe Alou, the second player from the Dominican to ever reach the big leagues and who spent 17 years as a player, 15 years as a manager, and actually held Adrian Beltre as a two-year-old when Beltre's father was pronouncing that he will be a major league star, but read about <laughs> that in the story. And we talked to Manny Moda, who was uh, a coach on the Dodger team that, that Beltre came up with. And, and everybody to a man talks about his intent. Forget about the tools. The tools were off the charts. We, Kevin, you've said this before. You never saw a third baseman charge and field balls as as, as fearlessly and as smoothly as Adrian did his reactions at third base, not just on balls he had to come in on, but on all balls were, were great. We, we we've talked about his passion and his joy for the game. That was so much on display, but people talk about the respect he showed other teammates, the humbleness with which he applied his craft and uh, on the respect level, kind of that, that ability to connect with both, the last generation and pass it down to the next generation. It's a, I think as Michael Young said last week, come seven o'clock. Um, I don't know that he ever felt he was around a guy more prepared to go out and win a game than Adrian Beltra. Yeah, that was uh, the, the quote from Michael Young uh, really what I thought spoke well of all of that. He talked about the fact that, you know, all right, you want a guy with talent. Well, you know, Adrian was a, a supremely talented. So was Josh Hamilton. Uh, and uh, if you wanted a guy that was, uh, you know, uh, tough, he was he was certainly tough. And there were other other guys who had certain elements to their game. You know, when we talked about, uh, uh, you know, Adrian's ability to charge the ball and make that throw, you know, because of the angle he was making the throw, you know, he, he's bent over. He's throwing that ball. He, he, the guy had massive forearms. You know, I, I just think that so much of that has to do with his actual strength, but his agility. You know, I, I told Michael Young this one time. I never, I never saw anybody make a relay throw better than Michael Young. You know, when he was playing second base or playing shortstop, either one. But his ability to take the ball, turn and throw all at the same time. It was so quick and so well executed, and the, the throw was always so strong. And Michael said, I he always took. Great pride in that. Michael is a really, really good player. I, I consider Michael one of those guys that's just underneath Hall of Fame level. You know, he just didn't have the numbers to support that argument, but a really, really good player. To get better than Michael Young, it really takes something, you know, and Adrian Beltre did that. You know, his numbers to me are inarguable. You, if you've never seen him play, the fact that he had over 400 home runs and over 3,000 hits and then won five gold gloves, well, that's a Hall of Famer. I mean, what's the argument? 
uh, I don't care when he did it, when he did, you know, whatever. You've never seen him play. But if you saw him play and you saw the the joy and the enthusiasm he played with, uh, the, as, as Evan pointed out, the way he got along with his teammates, the playfulness with Elvis Andrus, I think he kept Elvis in the league probably five more years than he should have been here. Certainly kept him a Ranger five more years than he should have been here. You know, it, it was so much about uh, Adrian that uh, – that made him a great player. I'm so glad that he got to come and play for the Rangers. I don't think he was appreciated until he came to play for the Rangers. That's where he made his career. And when he goes into the Hall of Fame, I would like to see the fact the, uh, that that Texas Ranger logo, that T on his cap. So Evan, I, that is one thing we don't know though yet, right? It, who, what's going to be on that cap? Well, yeah, we don't know. And I mean, there is some degree of a question because he came up with the Dodgers and he spent almost as many games with the Dodgers as he did with the Rangers. But he played the most number of games as a major leaguer with the Rangers, a thousand and in ninety-eight. Um listen, he still lives in California. Um, when the Dodgers did their their legend of the uh, Dodger legend, uh, which is their their ring of honor, their hall of fame. Uh, last year, and they inducted Manny Moda. Beltre showed up to bring Moda a restored version of the bicycle that Moda used to drive or ride around Dodger Town and Vero Beach. So he's still close with the Dodgers. Um, but he was also at the World Series with the Rangers this year. And 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 I think I, I think he's going to go in as a Ranger. I think that Adrian knows that he really reached reached another level as a player with the with the Rangers and I think even he would acknowledge that as much as he was groomed and learned under the Dodgers that he really came into his own as a man uh when he got to the to the Rangers I think he became I don't want to say he reached another level talent-wise. I just think he became more comfortable in who he was. We really saw the full picture of Adrian Beltre. So I, I think um, I think Beltre's choices are you can either go into the Hall of Fame now with a team with which you played the most number of games on your hat, or if you played for multiple teams and there's no clear majority, you can – choose to go in with no emblem and i just feel like adrian is going to go in with a ranger uh, with a ranger t on his cap and and if he does he'll be the third player um with a ranger t on his cap nolan ryan obviously who quite frankly probably should have gone in as an astro or an angel um but did finish his career here and i believe that his eventual Hall of Fame plaque was a uh, – the, the cap that would be on his Hall of Fame plaque was a point of negotiation. Um, did, and obviously, think, Pudge has Rodriguez. Impacted, has that impacted guys going forward and what the it, what the policy, official or unofficial policy is with the Hall I of Fame? I think in some ways it did. I think there were – I think there were some cases where it even became a, a, a negotiation point in guys' uh, contracts who – ended up who were going to end up playing less than Nolan ended up playing in Texas. You know, Nolan signed a one-year contract, but ended up staying four years here. Um, but I think teams had held that out. I want to say that the Rays tried to hold that out to Wade Boggs when they signed him. Um, and I think that may have been when the Hall of Fame kind of stepped in. Uh, and Boggs has a Red Sox a Red Sox logo on his hat and, and, and went in as a Red Sox and still works for the Red Sox. But yeah, I think, I, I think that, um, that the hall of fame did kind of step in at some point in time and say, no, we're not, we're not going to let you just choose 
on a whim what team you want to go in as. Um, and I, I, I think, I wish I had all the Hall of Fame plaques in front of me, but I think Andre Dawson right now may have no logo on his cap because I think he wanted to go in as a Cub and the 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 it would only dictate him going in as an Expo or no um, no logo. Yeah, it does seem a little unseemly to have the Hall of Fame used as a bargaining chip or 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 a way to lash out at an organization you didn't like, you know, after the fact. I mean, that's not what, that's not, yeah. that, that shouldn't be associated that, with anyone's bust in the Hall of Fame. You, you, you know, it's an interesting point because, you know, even, even Pudge, uh, who is the, uh, the third, Pudge Rodriguez, the third uh, Ranger, uh, if, if Adrian gets in, which he is going to get in. So, uh, and there was no question about that, except for the fact that he won a World Series with somebody else. Uh, yeah. And so I, I think that uh, uh, you, could, you could see it maybe becoming an issue a little bit, but uh, I, I don't know how many times, how many cases over the course of history have players, Hall of Fame caliber players, has it been a question of well, which, which club do you really identify with? I mean, Nolan was one of those uh, because he uh, was – great and then had and did great things uh with several different organizations never won with any of them uh never won a world series with any of them so it wasn't like you could really pinpoint a place for him like that i'm like evan i i think it makes much more sense that nolan would be identified with the the angels or the astros uh and, and probably the angels frankly he did most of the the work that he had done as or built most of his cases the hall of famer when he was an angel. So I, I do uh, want to take that back. Dawson has an Expos logo on his cap. Fred McGriff has no logo on his cap and Greg Maddox has no logo on his. So um, th- th- those are a couple a of examples. Greg Maddox. That's a shame about Greg. Maddox. He should have a Cubs cap on, you know, I, I'm, I'm assuming, Evan, do you know, do you have this at your disposal there? Do we know? I, I'm assuming the Yankees have the most all hall famers all time. Do we, do oh, we know yeah. how the list breaks down? Uh, yeah, no, I don't have them team by team and on, on what logos they're on. Um, but the, the 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 Yankees have by far the most. Yeah, just like they have the most World Series titles, um, which has a probably an undue influence on the on whether you make the Hall of Fame or not. It's like the the old argument about the the seventies Steelers and seventies Cowboys. There's so many more Steelers from that era in the uh, Hall of Fame than there are Cowboys, and the thinking is that well, because the Steelers won more Super Bowls in the 70s than the Cowboys did. Uh, and and I, I think that does have an influence sometimes on voters and uh, what they think about uh, a player, which I don't always think is a fair thing to, to say. You know, I, I, I don't know how you can always uh, – a great player on a bad team, especially on a bad baseball team, how much influence is he going to have on the winning? I mean, I, I was never a big A-Rod fan, but how was he going to – how was he going to make the Rangers into winners? You know, when he was here, he did everything he was supposed to do as a player. So I don't, I don't really get that argument very much. You guys got no, no thoughts about that. I have, I I have no thoughts on that. I mean, I, 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 but I do, I will just say this, the, the cap thing is an important designation more. So I think more for the fans than the, the players. Um, Fans, I, my, my experiences in being at the Hall of Fame, I was there for Pudge's induction ceremony. 
Uh, Tim Raines was inducted at that point in time, too. And to see people who show up, I believe Bagro was in that class, to see people show up and representing the team that those guys, that they felt like they played for, you know, there were so many Expos fans wearing Reigns jerseys, and, and and obviously Astro fans showed up probably in bigger in bigger numbers than they ever had. Um, it was uh, it, it gave me insight. You know, the, the 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 designation on the plaque means a lot to fans. You know, and it'll mean a lot to Ranger fans if Adrian Beltre goes in as a Texas Ranger. Well, for sure. You know, I think it, it kind of uh, look. It's everything they said about Nolan Ryan when they signed him, right? Tom Grieve. Tom has always said he gave us credibility to sign Nolan Ryan, a Hall of Famer sure. right here. And that's and that's what the, and that's what fans feel like. It's like, oh, this this makes you credible if you've got that kind of thing. Just like winning the World Series gives you credibility, makes you uh, a viable topic. I mean, even now when I see things about the the Rangers and people talking about the being World Champions, it's still hard for me to believe. You know, uh, when they talk about the that the, the Rangers are the reigning World Champions, that that really hasn't settled in on me yet. I don't and I don't know what it will uh, that 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 finally. It's like becomes a, a given, you know, maybe never, uh, but, but it certainly does seem odd now. And I think it's the same thing with, with fans when they see the players that they love and, and they're enshrined like that. It kind of validates it. It kind of makes it feel like, you know, I believed in this guy. I believed in this team and, and it really and I wasn't wrong. It wasn't just me being a goofball fan. I really was right about that. This guy really was great. This team really was great. So. All right. Well, let's go. Let's move over now and talk a little bit about uh, the the Mavericks and, and where they're going right now. Uh, I spent Monday night uh, with a the the about uh, well, a tenth of the Slovenian population in a suite at American Airlines Center. It was I feel Slovenia night. Um, I've always been a little uncomfortable with this title. I the I feel Slovenia thing. It's uh, the way they have it set up is in the in the way they. The way they uh, promote this is that Slovenia is the only nation in the world with love in its title. And and uh, I don't know that that was actually something that they were thinking of when they, they came up with, you know, with the name in the first place. But anyway, that's what they're it's, it's basically what they're saying is I feel love, you know, so I feel Slovenia. So that's that's the way they're they're targeting all that. So they, they, the ambassador was there, the ambassador to uh, the U.S. from Slovenia. So I got to sit down and talk with him a little bit uh he was a real character they told some they told some funny stories and uh they're obviously very proud of luka Doncic and what he's done uh unfortunately luka did not reward them with a great game uh monday night uh it looked great uh, by the numbers at least if you just look without looking at how many times it took him to get those numbers 33 points uh, i think 13 assists and 18 rebounds um uh, that's uh, as uh, David Morris pointed out. That's a Russell Westbrook kind of line, uh, and of course, we saw exactly what that did for Russell Westbrook and the number of uh, uh, titles that he won. Uh, it doesn't mean anything if you're not getting enough support. Otherwise, uh, the Celtics, of course, are a really good team. They were playing last night without Kristaps Porzingis, uh, who's having a really good year for the Celtics as their uh, third wheel. Uh, behind Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, uh, and they are uh, really good. Uh, and uh, they lost Grant Williams, who's now playing for the Mavericks, and they're still really good. Uh, so 
uh, David, the thing that was kind of uh, a little bit, I don't want to say disheartening for, for me, but it was a little stunning to hear Lucas say, well, they're the number one team in the NBA. So we lost to them and like, well, hats off to them. Uh, and it just felt like defeat to me. Uh, you know, this this uh, Mavericks franchise has got uh, one of the best players on the planet uh, playing for it. Uh, he's been here for a, for a little while now, and you would think they'd be a little bit closer to unseating a team like the Boston Celtics. You would expect that anyway. And yet, here they are just feeling like, well, we came close. They didn't even have Porzingis, who, who couldn't play here, couldn't, couldn't match him up with Luka. It just didn't work. Uh, maybe he's had a little bit of a reset uh, as the fact that he's the third wheel in, in, with the Celtics, and he had a hard time being the second wheel here, uh, at least ego-wise. So maybe things have changed that much. But uh, it's still disappointing, isn't it? Well, yeah. To, to me, this how erratic this team has been this year. Um, and, and I think that's just because they're not a solid defensive team. Uh, you know, the year they went to the Western Conference Finals, they were uh, they they had deficiencies in that team as well, but they had a defensive tenacity and system in place that allowed them when they weren't hitting their shots, when they weren't as efficient on the offensive side of the ball, uh, they were still in games and had a chance to win games. You really haven't seen that since then. And it's it's difficult. And yeah, I mean, for um uh, it, the, the problem is you play so many games in in basketball and in hockey and in Major League Baseball that if you go two or three seasons and find yourself in the same position, even with the personnel changes, even with everything else going on, because you have so many games and you have to get ready to play the next day, teams can settle into a mindset of accepting their lot, right? And, you know, when you pointed out Luca's comment, I think that's what you were referring to, that basically have Luca and the Mavericks just accepted, eh, we're not a top-tier team. We're on that next level. We're pretty good, but we can't really challenge right now because a team that's really challenging and on the rise isn't going to just concede that the Clippers are, I mean, the uh, Celtics are the best team in the league and, oh, well, we lost. What do you expect? They're going to say, no, we're better than them if we just hadn't done this at the end or we hadn't done that. Um, and you're not hearing that kind of fight. Now, it's a, it's a long season. Things can change. I get all that. But just the, just the mental approach to getting through such a long season, the danger is if you kind of accept and start to view yourself as, eh, we're a nice team. If we got hot, we could make some noise. That is far different from a team with expectations of, no, we should be right there regardless of what happens. And that edge and that that competitive fire um, makes a difference. And And if your best player hands down, doesn't have that competitive fire. Uh, the rest of the team picks up on that, and they're probably not going to have it either because, you know, you can be the second or third best player on the team if you have that fire and you're not playing well and you don't have the game to say anything about it. People, your teammates just shrug. They admire you, but they just shrug because you can't make a difference. Uh, that fire has to come from the players, especially in the NBA, that make a difference. And, um, yeah, that's, 
And again, just the whole idea, like you said, and I, I will say this, though, Luca also acknowledged that that triple-double was not a good one, that he didn't play well. And uh, uh, as gaudy and impressive as triple-doubles are, let's go back and Russell Westbrook, and how is his career viewed right now at this moment? Um, you know, it's it's not viewed the same as when he was right in his triple-double run and everyone's going, what a remarkable player, because he wasn't able to turn that into a significant playoff run. And Luca's been in the league long enough now that he's going to have to start facing these questions. Well, he is. You know, one of the things that the – well, I want to say this real quick, Evan. One of the things that the Celtics did uh, last night was they, they took the ball right at him. You know, yeah. uh, they, they made him defend. Make him work on uh, both ends. Yeah. They made him work on both ends, and he couldn't do it. You know, he he looked he looked gassed most of the night. You know, I bring this back up. It's the same situation with him. Don't think he's in great shape. He was in better shape to start this season than he has been in the past. But he's still not in great shape for a great player. I I would, you know, if you if you look at other people and their work ethic, and you look at a, a LeBron James and how long he's been in this league and how long he's played at the level he's played at, he's in tremendous physical condition. I don't think we could ever we could ever say that about Luca. He's never been in tremendous physical condition the entire time he's been here and he's just gotten away with it because he's young uh and i'm just wondering how long he's going to be able to do that uh, and he's so productive offensively yeah yes absolutely because you know he takes a beating out there and there's no question about that because of the way he plays and that's his style he's 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 a four-wheel drive uh, player that's that's what he is and and when you do that you you have to uh be able to take care of your body and, and i don't know that he's really doing that he it's requiring a lot of it, you know, on offense and defense, and especially if the Celtics are going to do, or if teams are going to do what the Celtics did to him last night. So, um, Evan, what were you going to say? I was just going to point out that, I, you know, I did a little chart here. Um, Doncic's already got eight triple-doubles of at least 30 points this year. Um, and all-time, he's got three of the 12 seasons um, – the th- three of the top 12 seasons for those kinds of games. And I've seen two of them this year that I, last night and in the game against the Clippers in December that I just walked away from saying, this was not a great game. And then I looked down at the stats and, and it's, it's a triple double. And, and I still wonder if the question is, did he not play a great game or is the standard that he's created so high that we're that we're judging him a little bit unfairly because look, look let's face it even though he was he shot poorly in both of those games i mean he did contribute double digits both assists and rebounds so he was playing on both ends of the floor or david is it just a product that like the guy the ball is in the guy's hands all the time and this offense and this team doesn't move without the ball in his hands yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And, and a lot of times we just look at the stats at the at the end of the game, uh, especially in a society where, okay, just just tell me what happened. I, I, I know this or I know that. Just tell me what happened. I'll make my own opinion or I'll, you know, I'll, I'll have my own opinion of what just took place, even though you didn't see it. And you look at the numbers and you went, okay, well, how can you criticize that guy? Look at what he did. Let me throw this at you. Dak Prescott 
threw for 403 yards and three touchdowns in the wild card round against Green Bay this year. Good game or bad game? It's, a, it's about when you do it. It's, a, it's about at meaningful moments in a game, and not, meaningful, not all meaningful moments are at the end of a game, especially if you're not making any positive moments early in a game, you know? And it's about, so, so these gaudy stats aren't just about what you can accumulate. It is about what is going on at the game when you are or aren't accumulating those stats. And um, sometimes you can just get behind and the, the other team is, well, fine. Well, you know, they can't score and catch up because they're not going to stop us. So let's just keep the, the pedal to the metal, let them score, you know, save a little energy on the defensive end. Let's just make sure we continue to execute offensively because we already have a big enough lead. They can't cut into it. And that's what you got in that Boston game. That's what you've gotten against a lot of Mavericks opponents this year. Yeah, he puts up gaudy stats. No one else in this league at the moment can do it like him. But when are those stats coming? Yeah. Well, a little bit of the same thing. I've always had that argument. It was the Michael Cage argument to me was when he was uh, yeah. uh, the center for, for Seattle. He led the league in lead round, rebound in one year. Seattle's terrible. Somebody's got to get those boards, you know, and he got them. Uh, and, and there's a little bit of the same with the Mavericks. Uh, you know, I'm a little perplexed by the fact that, you know, Brad Townsend wrote about Grant Williams the other day and said that, uh, you know, he just kind of hasn't quite made the impact that he thought he would make. And he's and one of the things he talked about was he was still struggling with trying to get their defensive uh, scheme down. Now, it, 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 Sean Sweeney's defensive scheme worked great a couple of years ago, as David pointed out when they made the Western Conference Finals. It's not working out so great now. I don't understand what the, what the problem is. I don't understand if if people are not playing defense and not communicating, so therefore the whole team concept doesn't work. Uh, I, I'm not sure what the problem is, but the Mavericks have got to figure this out. Uh, because, uh, you know, go, you know, this up and down, winning one night, losing the next night, that's not going to be a formula that gets you very far. And that'll be one more year. of It puts you a playing range down there again, you know? Yes, it is. And, uh, and that's one more year of Luca's contract that's exhausted. And, uh, and you're going to have to ask yourself, you know, when that time comes, is Luca going to, even before that time comes, is Luca going to come and say, Hey, I want out of here, you know? Uh, this this team's not going anywhere. This organization's not going anywhere, and I don't I don't see the future here. I I, I need you. I, I need to go someplace else. And so Miriam Adelson and the Sands Corporation needs to step up right now. Is what I hear you saying, Kevin. That's exactly right. Come on, make that make that deal now. And maybe that's what Mark was thinking. I don't know. I'm still searching for whatever Mark was thinking about that sale. All right, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. We thank you for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back next week in which we will get the final vote tally on Adrian Beltre and find out where he finished. Uh, but we, we're we pretty sure. I, I hope people will find out before them. Yeah. Well, yeah, we hope so. But we'll talk about it. They, won't, they may find out, but they won't know the inside of it until they listen to this podcast. So from everybody in here and everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time.